morning, everybody. How are you? I'm Stephanie. I'm on the board. If you hear me singing into the microphone, that's a joke that they're playing on me up in the booth. Um, but I wanted to start off today just saying happy Father's Day. It's a big day. A lot of you are dads, and all of us have someone to celebrate or um, someone to reflect on today. And I thought I would pay tribute to dads in the best way that I know how uh, by telling some dad jokes, some of my favorite ones that I've collected over the years. And when I was practicing them on my family, my sister is just like, no, Stephanie, no, you can't do this. You cannot start off with groans in your sermon. So I just decided, um, you know what, I'm going to leave it to the experts. I have a great dad joke that I'll have a dad share with you. So let's go ahead and watch it. goodness you can't do it better than that I repeated it after we watched it my whole family was just dying laughing and then my mom's like I don't even know what the punchline means it's just so cute Abu-dabi-doo. okay um, so we're in this series called common prayers and who was here last week to hear Nate preach the first one it was fantastic if you get a chance be sure to listen to it because we're talking about uh, the prayers that are common among Christians, things that you find in scripture, or things that we corporately pray very often. Last week, we talked about the foundational prayer, God, have mercy. And Nate talked about the parable that Jesus told of the tax collector and the Pharisee, who are both in the temple and what they were praying. And there we had the tax collector praying, God, have mercy. Well, this week, I want to talk about something that is essential in our prayer for mercy. It's essential in all of our prayers, but particularly in this prayer, God have mercy. It's a foundational tool, and I'm going to allow another parable to kind of outline this for us as well. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. We're going to look at Luke 15. Now I'm going to start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this sounds really similar to the parable that we went over last week, right? Only the parable hasn't started yet. This is actually what's happening in the room. Jesus has attracted the sinners, the tax collectors, they're all sitting there with bated breath waiting to see what Jesus is going to say. And all of the Pharisees are there rolling their eyes and muttering. So this is actually going down in the room. It's happening. So as they're all listening together in this very uncomfortable environment, looking at each other from across the room, this is the parable that Jesus tells in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he, he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So we don't know where he, what country he went off to. Could have been Amsterdam. He could have gone to Euro Disney for as much as we know. That's where all of your money gets flushed down the toilet, by the way. Mickey will steal your money. Let's all just remember that. But um, so he's away, and he has his entire inheritance. And this is something that his father had to liquidate his assets for. He didn't have money in the bank. He likely had a lot of land, a lot of sheep, a lot of assets that he had to sell in order to give his son his inheritance. So here he has torn apart his assets, his portfolio, his investments, right? On top of that, he's, he's leaving his community. My sister just moved to Oregon, and her leaving was a big deal for her community. She was a pastor at her church. Everyone, you know, it was just the entire community was broken up about it. And on top of that, he's leaving his family. He's leaving his dad. He's leaving his brother. This is more than just taking what is owed him and leaving. He's leaving destruction in his wake, and he's breaking hearts. His dad's heart had to have been broken. So while this younger son is away living the high life, he runs out of money. He ends up starving. He's feeding pigs, and he's envying the pigs because he wishes he had food like them. And that's the end of the story. That's what the Pharisees were hoping, right? They're sitting there like, yes, finally, Jesus is telling a story we can get behind. This is what happens, and you do not belong at our table, right? Well, Jesus continues, and here we are in verse 17. When he came to his senses, the younger son said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is a unique part of the passage and kind of what I want to hone in on today is that um, when he knows, he comes to his senses and he knows it's better to be a servant in my father's house than, than to be an outcast son. He says, I, I'm not looking for a situational change. I'm not going to ask him to change my situation to say, dad, can I just bum around in your mansion? Dad, can I just, you know, can I just find something within your home? He's not asking for a situational change. He's asking for a status change. He's saying, I want to go from your son to a hired man, to a hired servant. I'm no longer worthy to be in your family. Let me just be someone who benefits from being close by, from, from the overflow of what you have. So he's not asking for a uh, relationship. He's looking for a transaction. There's a big difference between a transaction and a relationship, and I kind of want to dig into this with you. In your notes, you have like a space where you can kind of contrast that. But um, it's a distinction that's very important, and I want to lay it out for you. So first, transactions are a lot easier. Why is that? Transactions, typically, they have a ledger. You can get a receipt. It's, I owe you, therefore you must give. Or $5, I give you $5, you give me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, spicy sandwich, or more like six or seven dollars. Oh, wait, what? It's twelve dollars. Okay, yeah. Take my money because it's worth it. It's not even Sunday, but whatever. 
It's Sunday. Can't even get it. Um, but relationships, <laughs> transactions are super easy because you can keep track, right? Relationships are a lot harder. And let me kind of uh, lay that out for you. A transaction is about what I have for you. Here it is, right? A relationship is about what I am to you. It's a little harder to delineate. A transaction is conditional. A relationship is unconditional. A transaction is what you do. A relationship is who you are. And finally, a transaction says that if you perform, you are accepted. But a relationship says you are accepted. Therefore, you should perform. Can you guys see the difference there? It's very, it's very important and pivotal. So here we have the son who's asking for not a situation change, but a status change. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant. Let's move from a relationship to a transaction, right? But ironically, this is exactly what got him in this mess in the first place. The son did not leave his father's house thinking of the love of his dad and the relationship that he had as an accepted son. He was looking for the transaction. He was saying, I am owed, according to the law, one-third of all your property. Break it out for me. Give me a receipt. Let's close our account, and I'm going to leave. Let's make this a transaction. Let me get what I need, and I'm going to go. He didn't want to submit to his father's household, his leadership. He didn't want to involve himself in the affairs that his father was involved in. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted his transactions to be tightly wrapped up. So then, when he didn't have anything more that he was owed, anything else that he deserved, he was thinking, how can I now open a new transaction? I, I, can't, I don't rightfully deserve anything based on a relationship, so I'm, I'm going to just look for a new transaction. But that is when the relationship really began, if we look in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His father saw him from a distance. He fell upon his neck and loved him and welcomed him. When his son drew near, he drew nearer. And he was accepted and loved. And he was reinstated to a place of honor. They celebrated. They threw a party. My son is back. And this story sets a beautiful truth when it comes to prayer. And, and this is essentially why I wanted to share this when we're talking about common prayers this week. When we pray, we are approaching our dad. When we pray, we are approaching our dad within the context of a relationship, not a transaction. This is very important for us to accept and realize um, because it affects everything. It affects everything. I wanted this to be our context when we look at the most famous common prayer in scripture, which is found in Luke 11. And we all know this. We could all recite this together. But um, in verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's the groundwork. That's the essential element. It's relationship. It's coming to Father. When you approach, come as a son. And don't just come as any son. Come as a son who was far off, who was adopted back. Whew, that's powerful. Come as a son who rejected his inheritance and his place, but you were adopted back and welcomed back. When we pray, we get to pray with the full rights of children. We can pray, Father, Dad, Abba. Have you heard people pray Abba before? The, the Hebrew word for Dad. I once heard a little kid on a plane yelling Abba to his dad. It was going from Tel Aviv to London. He was pulling on his sleeve, Abba, Abba. And I was like, that is so cute. And like four hours in, I'm like, would you answer their son? Like, come on, it's not cute. It's not cute in any language. Okay, so, um, so what does praying to our dad, what does that mean for our prayer life? Um, my dad tells the story. He's, he has four kids, and we're all within five years of each other. So um, when he was home, there was a lot of demands on his time, right? Um, he told me the story that he was playing with us all day and running around, and he finally got some alone time in the restroom. And he looks over and he sees little fingers coming up from underneath the door. And he hears this little sweet voice, I just want to be with you. <laughs> and he's like, oh my goodness. But that's exactly what it means. It means that we can be ourselves. We can be needy children. In fact, Jesus says to have shameless audacity when we pray. Shameless audacity. We can ask whatever. We can be those annoying children. Just, I just we can ask with shameless audacity. Um, that means our prayers should be alive and free and the best conversations that we could possibly have. This is the invitation to have these conversations with our dad. We get to be those annoying kids. I actually, I heard a famous preacher say that the only person with enough audacity to wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask for a cup of water would be his son would be his child. That's the invitation that we have. We get to do that. And the great thing is that our dad, he gives us good things. When we ask, he hears and he answers and responds. We have a relationship with a loving father, a perfect dad, and that's the joy of getting to pray, father. Now there's also a complication there, right? The complication is that our earthly experience of dad is never perfect. What we experience from our fathers is limited because all people are limited and all dads are reflecting this unlimited God. It's just this, it's kind of unfair, right? No dad is perfect, but for some of us, it's been harder to understand that loving, accepting, you know, come to me with your shameless audacity kind of a dad. For some of us, when we think of dad, it might conjure up a lot of different things. And these are a wide range of emotions. I actually, I helped uh, pr publish a book called Father Wounds. And it was by a local pastor. And he broke down every chapter on the different kind of indelible marks 
that a brokenness in a father-child relationship can leave. And it's everything from leaving fear to embarrassment to uh, anger. Uh, it's a wide range when this imperfection affects children. Now, I have a great dad who loves me, and he has cared for me wonderfully, but I'm still on a journey to believe that God accepts me and that I can come to him with nothing to offer. That is very, very hard for me. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my journey. I met Jesus when I was very young, introduced to him by my parents, fell in love with Jesus, and I loved quiet times prayer times, journaling. I just loved it. It was this very life-giving time for me. And I'm not really sure at what point things started transitioning, but it had happened slowly over a few years where it got to a point where I realized I hate my quiet time. I do not enjoy it at all. This is a time that it's not life-giving. It feels suffocating to me. And I don't like journaling, I don't like prayer, and I don't know why. Like, it's just, it was just very constricting, and I just didn't like it. And so I just kind of slowly backed away from it without trying to dig into it and figure it out. So um, I went to the Emmaus Women's Retreat. This was probably three or four years ago now. Um, and we were spending time in uh, meditation, uh, guided meditation, you know, through scripture. Um, were any of you women there for that? Do you remember that? The breeze? Yeah. So, and I was seriously nervous. I'm like, oh, I don't want this face-to-face -face time. It's just, I'm not in a good place. I don't really want to do that. Um, but what I found was that it was this complete point of peace where when I actually spent time with God, my Father, the acceptance and the love there was everything I'd been thirsting for in my quiet times. I'm like, I love time with God. I love prayer. What, where did that go? What had happened? Then I realized that my time with God had become less of a time with a loving, accepting father and more of a time with a boss who had a clipboard who was checking in on my spiritual development plan. Do you, are you guys following me with this? It had become so... Um, it had become a job that I was essentially taking myself through to make sure that I was growing at a, at a good trend. I was looking for a good trend to make sure that I was growing well. Um, and I didn't realize how far away I had gotten and how deeply I had misconstrued who God was and who I am. That God is a loving, accepting father and I am an accepted child. And there were several reasons that I had gotten to that point, but there I was. And the reason I wanted to share the parable of the lost son when I'm talking about something like praying, Father, is because I need this context for me to know that when I have nothing to offer, he is waiting and he sees me from a distance and that's all it takes. He runs to me. And he loves me and accepts me, and I have nothing. I have less than nothing. I've done damage, and he welcomes me. Ever since then, um, here's my one little check mark that I have in my time with God and in my prayer with God. My one check mark is Do I know I'm loved? Then I know I've spent time with my dad. 
Can I check that off? Do I know that I'm loved? Do I enjoy him? And do I know he enjoys me? Right? I want to know that I'm not too much for him to handle. I want to know that I am just enough. And just a side note here, I'm not, I was, this is not like my, the purpose of my sermon, but I just need to say this to you. If you're hearing in your prayer time that you are not enough or that you are too much, you're not hearing your dad. That's not God. You are just exactly who he's accepting. So whatever keeps you from a free, loving prayer life with your dad, here's the, here's the beautiful part. You can ask him for help. You can ask him to help shape that healthy prayer time and believe what he says about who he is and who you are. Um, you're his chosen child. He wants to lavish you with love. And um, as I close today, um, I want to address dads in particular. Um, I just want you to know first that I've been praying for you for weeks, and I've been asking God, what specifically do you want me to say to dads in the room? There's so much, and I know you hear so much. You have a tough job. You have a hard job as a father. Um, but God wants to say something very strongly to you. This is the one thing I was hearing when I was praying. What do I say to dads? Father God loves you perfectly. Leaning into that perfect love of your father will help shape you. Being a child of God makes you the father you need to be. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful invitation. I was thinking, what could my dad do that, that helps me more? And I think being a kid that points to God the father. Being, being a kid, being a child of God that points to God the father. I hope that encourages you, that you can live in the love of your Father, you can abide in his home, receive his mercy and blessings with the amazement and gratitude that they deserve. And for children here, all of us, adult children, all of us, if you're struggling in your relationship with Father God, if you're defaulting to the transaction instead of the relationship, I just want to say to you, that you can also come to your senses and go back and be received with full love. God wants to take you on a journey of restoration. He wants to restore you. He wants you to be completely free and know that when you pray, our Father, when you pray, Father, he is listening. That you can pray with shameless audacity, and it's not too much. You're not too much. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this incredible invitation. Thank you for the relationship change that is possible, that I can go from a servant to a son because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for the sacrifice it took to get me there. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be able to believe and ask with shameless audacity when we pray to you that our prayer life would be vibrant father-son, father-daughter time. It would be a time where we know that we're loved. And that out of that knowing, out of that love, 
we love and bless others. God, I ask for healing in this room. I ask for um, strength for the dads in this room. Uh, let them know that you are the perfect dad for them to lean into. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, now is the time when we get to...